Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, I gotta say, I had a good time last night reading your article about Michael Porter Jr.'s defense. Now, you were digging deep into like the 30th page of the thesaurus, finding some you know, old English words to use to kind of like really politely critique Michael Porter Jr., I'm curious. I mean, sometimes in the story generation process, is it just that you're so pained by the Boston Celtics, you know, being 500 that you've got to lash out and just, you know, kind of take out all of your angst upon poor Michael Porter Jr.? I mean, I felt bad for the guy. I didn't disagree with the words you wrote. I really was laughing at a, at a number of the uh, video clips that you pulled in where you've got Michael Malone pulling his hair out on the sidelines when <laughs> Porter's jumping at ball fakes and all sorts of stuff. But, um, can you just walk me through your process quickly on that one? Is everything okay? Are you good? Everything is all right? No, I mean, you know, you want to be as positive as possible through a very trying time right now. And I usually am optimistic when I'm writing about players. And, you know, I tried to look on the bright side with Michael Porter Jr. a tad in that piece to kind of balance it out. But like there's only so much uh like footage you can watch before you're like I got to write about this cuz no one else is and it is a true catastrophe. Yeah, I mean I was just trying to find your all-star picks and came across that column and I was like, wow, Michael was on one. I don't know, I don't know. I better check in on his uh on his mental well-being. It's a great piece. People should go read it. It's very uh revelatory. I mean, 
I think most people when they're watching Michael Porter Jr. do have that kind of slap your head moment every once in a while, but to just see it all laid bare side by side was was quite a treat. Anyway, we are not here to pile on. Michael's already done that plenty. What we are here to discuss, Michael, is you released your official all-star selections, and I was bracing for some really wacky picks, to be honest. Like I just didn't know if you, <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to be going too deep into the stat nerd stuff. I didn't know if you were going to be taking your eye off the ball. I am still just completely offended that you don't have James Harden in your starting lineup for the Eastern Conference. I think it's the biggest mistake that you and many other people out there have been making when they're trying to put together these rosters. But look, you know, we're not here to dwell on that. We are here to run through some of the biggest conversations. Uh, about uh, the reserves. So let me just start this conversation by having you just quickly list, um, you know, the the 12-man roster that you put together for the Eastern Conference, and then maybe name, you know, one or two, maybe three of your toughest snubs, just to give us that context. Then we're going to dig into some discussion questions. So hit me with your Eastern Conference roster. Sure. So in the East, I have Joel Embiid, Giannis, KD, Brad Beal and Jalen Brown as my starters. And then reserves, I have Tatum, Chris Middleton, uh, Bam Adebayo, uh, Kyrie Irving, your favorite player, James Harden, uh, Julius Randle, and Zach Levine. So that's my East team. And then... And the snubs. So who were the toughest guys that you left off? Man, there's there were a lot actually. I gotta say, particularly this year. Um, yeah, it was one of those things where, like, look, I mean, there was really only about seven guys who were actually all stars, but there was about twenty five guys you could make an all star case for. At least that was my mm-hmm. opinion. So anyway, uh, who were your who are your toughest guys to leave off? Just give me a couple. Yeah, so like Vucevic in Orlando has just been having an incredible season statistically, but it's Orlando. Trey Young. Um, Love Trey Young. He just completely obliterated the Boston Celtics last night with 40 points and like 20 shots. Just an amazing player. Um, and like, like you know, you want to pick a player from a team that's doing okay. So Domas Sabonis in Indiana probably is a snub as well. But, you know, there's only 12 spots. Absolutely. So let's start uh, with how important winning was for your criteria this year. You mentioned the idea of rewarding teams that are on good teams. In the Eastern Conference, frankly, not too many good teams this year. And so there would be a temptation maybe to load up with multiple Sixers, to take multiple Bucks like you did, and to kind of approach it that way, to take all three Brooklyn Net stars. And I think those guys are all no-brainers. Um, as you were putting together your rosters this year, taking into account that it's a shorter schedule, it's a, it's a smaller number of games, um, it is a weird year where you know it's, it's very bottom-heavy in the standings. How much were you rewarding winning compared to a normal year? Because for me, when I was making my uh, picks this year, I found myself defaulting to winning a lot uh, simply because a lot of the the candidates who might normally be in the pool, maybe they didn't play enough games and maybe that translated to their team's struggles. And I didn't necessarily want to give, um, you know, these gigantic benefit of the doubts, uh, you know, and, and kind of uh, sacrifice on principles like availability and consistency and reliability uh, just to make up for the fact that, hey, you know, they missed two weeks and that's why their team's bad. It was a tricky thing to kind of balance this year. I tended to err on the side of, look, let's reward the guys who have been able to be out there on the court, um, not necessarily punishing guys that couldn't, mm-hmm. but at least just rewarding people who have done it night to night and have had that, you know, show through in the standings. Did you take a different approach or the same approach? I think 
historically, when I look at stuff like this, I I don't factor in winning as much. Like if you are in a truly uh, hellacious situation and you're putting up great numbers and your team stinks, um, and it just feels like empty calories, uh, then sure I can identify that. But for the most part, you know, I'm pretty analytically based in my decision making and so if you're super efficient and you're getting buckets and you're making plays for your teammates but your team isn't winning then I try to ignore the winning if that makes any sense and most of the time I I look at you know the importance of a certain player on their to their team and their value and you know if you were to take these this player off this team how much worse would they be um, impact yeah I, lo- I definitely look yeah. at impact too and, and it's it's tricky this year because you have lots of guys putting up huge numbers and so that's the other challenge is how much do you mm-hmm. dig into okay well if a guy's got gigantic numbers on a team that's losing this year is it his fault or is it the absences around him it was a it was a tricky year um, from mm-hmm. a selection standpoint before we get any further Michael I did an absolutely atrocious job of burying the league today on Thursday the NBA officially announced that there will be an all-star game it's taking place on on Sunday, March 7th, like we all expected. They're going to do a skills challenge. They're going to do a three-point contest uh, before the actual game. They're going to do the dunk contest at halftime, and they're going to have the Elam ending from last year's uh, All-Star game where they play towards that targeted score and things get a little bit more excited. The players will be flying in on Saturday. They're going to be living in a mini bubble, basically not leaving that hotel. They're going to be flying back out on Sunday And, uh, you know, we had talked about some of the schedule modifications that they could potentially have to ease some of these player concerns. It sounds like if you've got multiple all-stars on your team, most likely you're going to get an extra day or two coming out of that um, all-star weekend and that mid-season break before you've got to play your first game, uh, you know, in the second half of the season. So it is a go, Michael. They're doing it. They're donating $2.5 million to HBCUs. And I do think we've talked through the ethics and the question marks about Uh, the actual event itself pretty thoroughly on past episodes. But I did think it was noteworthy that Atlanta's mayor kind of came out and was like, please, nobody else come to this. This is only for TV. We don't want you partying. We don't want the clubs. Just please stay home. I think that just adds one more layer to this conversation, which has been pretty complicated here over the last uh, month or so, hasn't it? It has. And I mean, I'm, I'm scrolling through the press release right now. Um, in real time as we're recording. And it's really interesting to me just how many quotes uh, that were included from outside parties to kind of like validate this whole exercise. No, they like, got like Spelman College, Morehouse College. They got the third good <laughs> yeah. Marshall Scholarship Fund. I mean, look, they are trying, they understand it's an issue, right? And maybe they're protesting against the protests a little bit too much with these uh, included quotes. Is that what you're saying, Michael? A little bit, yeah. You don't normally see that in a press release announcing an all-star game. Let's just put it that way. Uh, that's true. Usually we're quoting mascots, you know. I can't wait to be out there <laughs> on a hoverboard spinning so Aaron Gordon can jump over me. I mean, that's the usual all-star game press release. Anyway, let's get back on track here. I do got to – can I Can I really yell at you about this Beal selection, Michael? I understand having him as, a, uh, as an all-star this year. It's a worthy selection. I read your defense of him, and I thought it was excellent in terms of – pointing to his impact on the Washington Wizards and how basically he's just single-handedly overcoming all the negative stuff that Russell Westbrook is doing this year. Um, Mm. James Harden is the best guard in this conference. He's showed it ever since the trade. 
he showed it again this past week. I'm sure you've got to be impressed by that big-time three-pointer he hit um, in that impressive win. He's completely overhauled his game to become more of a pass-first player, yet he's still getting his scoring number. He's playing for one of the few winning teams in the conference. If you switched him with Beal, Washington would be better. If you switched Beal with Harden, the Nets would be worse. Harden's had to carry this Brooklyn team with Kevin Durant out for a lot and Kyrie Irving, you know, kind of in and out of the lineup. And I just think it's an absolute no-brainer. And I think people are holding the ugly stuff against him in, in, in terms of the trade mm-hmm. request. Michael, this is the All-Star game, not the National Honor Society. You know what I mean? Like, there's no character. I mean, like, there there is probably some line that he could cross punching an official or, or something like that where, okay... We've got to slow things down and say, all right, we've got to, you know, find a way to sort of punish James Harden for his behavior this season. But I mean, an ugly trade request, he was fine for it. Technically, he paid his price for the stuff that he did off the court, uh, at least in the NBA's eyes. Why are we holding the starting spot against him? It seems ludicrous given his talent advantage over all the other players in that backcourt category in the Eastern Conference. I think it's crazy, Michael. I mean, his time in Houston is literally a third of his entire season. So to dismiss that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, didn't they win more games there than Bradley Beal's win winning in Washington? I mean, come on. Dude, (laughs) this is so interesting to me because, like, throughout that entire time, like you were very critical of the fact that he was basically not trying his hardest. Well, so. here's the thing. I'm not going to vote for him for the sportsmanship award. I think there's a Twyman Stokes <laughs> teammate of the year award. Here, here's some breaking news, Michael. I'm leaving James Harden off my ballot for teammate of the year. Um, I think in an MVP conversation, you know, this would definitely be held against him because like you're saying, it's a meaningful portion of the season. But if we're looking at all-star starters, usually I'm saying I only look at the games from the start of the season to whenever voting cuts off, right? I'm not considering last year. I'm not considering anything else. I'm I'm usually in 99 out of 100 cases not considering anything off the court. I'm looking at production. I'm looking at talent. I'm looking at impact on winning. I am saying, okay, just, you know, which guys do we want? Who's had the best cases? He's been out there every single night. And it was an ugly start, and I understand the frustration around it. If I was a Houston fan, it would be really hard for me to forgive uh, you know, how it went down. But I'm just watching these Nets games. This guy's an absolute killer, man, every night. Dude, like, you're talking to me. You know I love Harden. Like, you know I think that he's incredible. I mean, and that's I why I'm dwelling on it, Michael. I want you to change your mind. <laughs> I want I want you to get back to that pro Harden camp because it feels like you're in a negative headspace with him right now. I, I I am because, you know, like the offense is, it's insanely good right now. And I do not disagree with you that if you swapped him with Beal or you swapped him with Jalen, that the Celtics would be better, and and that's really saying something because Jalen's having a terrific season. Um, I think it's marginal that the Wizards would be better, to be honest with you. I don't think any human being alive could save that team. Maybe LeBron could, probably, because he can do anything. Um, but I, I I don't know. Like Harden is shooting what fifty forty ninety right now in a Nets uniform. Like he's insane. Like he's 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 leading the league in assists. He's a brilliant offensive player. He's really not trying at all on the defensive end still in Brooklyn. It hasn't really mattered yet, but that is also a factor here for me. And 
getting to play i know the phoenix game is most it's like etched in our brains right now because um it's most recent and he was terrific in it but he also gets to play with kevin durant and kyrie irving and uh assume this role of playmaker that's basically like I don't like it's stress free for him. I would imagine like he has so much space to operate in. He's got Joe Harris, who's like the best three point shooter in the league right now, also on the floor with him. He's got DeAndre Jordan diving to the basket for lobs. Like it's just a perfect situation for him. And so I'm not really denying that he's been great. I just can't oh, like if if the margins are very slim, I'm not going to reward him when uh, Beal's been playing the entire season, just going bananas. Um, in Washington in a, in a historically uh, successful way as an individual scorer, like doing MJ early 20s stuff like that is it's just like it feels like what Beal is doing is special. And maybe a little bit of it is also the fact that um, Beal was not an all star last year. And I know we're not supposed to look at this stuff. Um, but he wasn't an all-star last year and he did not make an all-NBA team despite averaging 30 points a game. Like that just feels like a little wrong to me. And like, I don't know, man, he's been leading the league in scoring like with a massive number and he hasn't been particularly inefficient doing it despite like Ish Smith being on the floor with him. Like it's, it's, it's amazing. But I mean, most nights these games don't really matter. They're just track meets for the Washington (laughs) Wizards. Like I think I'm not calling them empty stats, but they're absolutely inflated by their pace. It's inflated by the fact that you know, they're out there just saying, hey, go do whatever the heck you want. Teams don't have to load up on Bradley Beal because they can beat the Wizards without any like real junk defenses or anything like that. It's just, you know, go out and have a good time, Bradley Beal, because, you know, your team's not necessarily a threat. I'm still willing to respect him enough to put him onto my all-star roster. But this idea that he's been one of the five best players in the Eastern Conference this year, I just don't see it. I really, really, really don't see it. But we're dwelling there. Michael, let's move on to a couple of the other um, debates that we have going, some of the most interesting ones. If I'm not mistaken, we have all the other starters the same, right? Jalen Brown, KD, Joel Embiid, Giannis, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. How close was it for you between Jalen and Kyrie? I think that we're both of the opinion, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we're both of the opinion that if you have players who are well-rounded and two-way impact guys and are out there night to night, that should take precedence over you know, spectacular one-way players, which is sort of this debate between Jalen and Kyrie. You know, we might call Kyrie the more talented player, but I, to me, in this year's selection process, Jalen would be the more deserving player. Is that how you landed? How close was that? Did you agonize over it, or did you just automatically give it to Jalen? Um, I agree with you, first off, that, you know, I, I value two-way players more than guys who are one-dimensional, and I wrote a column about Kyrie, uh, last week and just how great he has been offensively and just how putrid he's been defensively. And like that matters to me a little bit, like especially when the team you play for has like the worst defense in the NBA or one of, and you are contributing to it so heavily. Whereas with Jalen, I mean, he just, he plays every, like Jalen's just been a stud, man. Like he's putting up the same numbers as, uh, Kawhi really like as I wrote about in my in my picks to kind of rationalize it like statistically he's on par with Kawhi Leonard and like that is ridiculous I'm like I don't think anybody in the world expected that um uh, I certainly did not and you know I look at Jalen 
And compared to Kyrie, like I also factor in the time off that Kyrie had where he just kind of walked away from basketball for a little bit. I'm sensitive to the reasons why. Um, The fact that he went to a celebration and didn't wear a mask and was eventually fined $50,000 by the NBA. I mean, that stuff also, I'm not like necessarily factoring that into my all-star decision, but not playing for as long as he did when physically healthy um, while Jalen was playing and helping a team that could have really floundered um, had he not been as productive as he's been. That also matters. So agree, uh, agree. I think that was the kind of the tiebreaker. If it was going to be close, if you were kind of weighing it back and forth, Jalen's been rock solid. They've really needed him to be rock solid. The argument of what Boston would look like without Jalen, God, that's a scary sight. I mean, even you would mm-hmm. have to admit they'd struggle without uh, without mm-hmm. Jalen this year. Um, so I think you're right on the money there. I like that pick. Let's go to um, the front court reserve. So you had Julius Randle. Is that correct? I had him as a wild card, actually. Yeah, so, I mean, some of these ones I, I don't think there was a lot of debate about. I mean, to me, Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum, mm-hmm. you know, Kyrie, mm-hmm. if you've got Harden on your bench because you started Beal, I mean, those are all pretty obvious, right? So it comes down to the last couple where we're really debating. You know, Julius Randle versus Damanis Sabonis in Indiana was a really interesting one. You could also throw in Vucevic, um, you know, who you mentioned in Orlando, how did you land on Randall over Sabonis and Vucevic? I think I'm more personally inclined to go Sabonis. I really liked his all-star candidacy last year. His numbers this year are better. I mean, 21, 12, 6, plus a steal. Um, you know, efficiency-wise, he's rock solid, kind of like always. He's played a bunch of minutes. You know, he's averaging 36 minutes a night this year, been out there almost every game for Indiana. And I feel like he lost some momentum in these conversations because – they trade away Oladipo and they don't get Karis Levert. So the record comes back to earth. And now all of a sudden everybody forgets about the Pacers. And so to me, I wanted to reward the Pacers um, overall team success. And I felt like he was their most deserving candidate, although Brogdon had a case as well. Um, Why are you snubbing Sabonis in favor of Julius Randle, Michael? (laughs) I mean, this was really tough. I'm not going to lie. It was. I mean, I don't, you you could argue for both of them, honestly, and take somebody else off. They're both deserving candidates, but what was, what was Randall's kind of best argument? I guess it was just like, man, like statistically they were so dead even in scoring um, in assists in, uh, you know, PER, their PER is like I literally identical right now at 20.7. Their usage rates are similar. Their assist rates, their rebound rates. Um, with Randall, it's like he suddenly is just helping the Knicks, in a, like helping his team, the Knicks, in a way that he just never has before, where he is like solid defensively. He's hitting threes. He's playmaking in a way that like – you know, he'll grab and go, but he's not out of control anymore. Like, he'll just create mismatches, mismatches, read the defense, either bully ball or, like, bully ball and then dump off when he when he has help or kick out to the three-point line. And the honestly, the one stat that – and this probably isn't even fair to Sabonis maybe, but, like, the on-off splits for him – sealed the deal for me where when he's on the court they get outscored by their opponent and when he's off the indiana pacers are like running over opponents um 
so take that for which i mean this is just a weird season i'm not saying that like sabonis is bad for his team at all of course but yeah when you're splitting hairs that's what it comes down to for sure and i don't know exactly how to explain that because when he's on the court with turner they're really good if i'm not mistaken right and then there's these extra minutes where basically he's playing and turner's not and i think in those situations that's when they're losing so i i guess maybe Mm -hmm. they've got him in situations where he's like the one guy out there as like the you know, carrying bench lineups, I would imagine, is is kind of what what comes down with those minutes. And maybe that's where they're sacrificing that time. Or maybe it's just a more dramatic swing um, after they've been losing these games uh, compared to earlier in the year where they were racking up a lot of wins and, and winning by a pretty nice margin. It's tricky. Um, I, you know, I just think if I was picking one player, who would I rather have right now? I mean, I think Sabonis causes more problems than Randall does, even though Randall's been awesome this season. Uh, so that was one of my tie-breaking factors. Obviously, Indiana has a slightly better record, but Sabonis also has more help. So I think there's a, a case to be made for Randall of like, look, he's doing more with less, right? He's got almost a comparable record in the standings. And you look at his supporting cast versus you know a lot of the vets that Sabonis has been playing with and, and guys who have shared minutes together. So it's a little bit easier to, to come out of the gate strong. And that just wasn't the case in New York. I mean, they got a lot of young players, new faces, new coach and everything else. So Randall deserves a lot of attention. I mean, to me, I think Randall might have been my toughest cut. I haven't absolutely finalized my rosters. I'm going to wait to do that until I write for the Sunday paper. But he's looking like the toughest cut. Um, And, you know, I, I think that Knicks fans are right to be stating this case. Randall's right to be putting a story in the New York Times about how he should be an all star. I mean, like they they should be ramping this one up because it's been a while since they've had somebody even in that conversation. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, 
the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Let's shift gears here to some of the other kind of like last guys in or, or last guys out. Now, did, correct me if I'm wrong. You have Zach Levine on your roster? I do, yes. What were you thinking, Michael? Come on, Michael. Wow, wow, wow. Um, look, I was surprised because, like, Zach Levine, I, I think you and I are aligned here, just not our type of basketball player. Uh, you know, when we talk about empty calories, when we talk about winning impact, we've literally never seen it with this guy. Like, he can get buckets, um, yeah. shoot threes, pull up threes. Just, just put whipped cream on the popcorn, Michael. I mean, that's all we're doing here. <laughs> Just the emptiest possible. No, I'm kidding. Look, Zach Levine's had a nice season offensively. There is no denying that. He's an exciting player. He is much better than he was last year. He was better than he was the year before. I mean, he's he's progressing along at what he does well. The team's losing. He's one of the worst defensive players in the NBA at his spot. And I have a hard time overlooking both of those combined factors. He doesn't really, he's a better playmaker for his teammates than he was in the past, but that's saying absolutely nothing because he had some of the biggest blinders ever in the history of the NBA until about two years ago. Um, I'm not going to fall in love with that points per game number, Michael. Are you really taking Zach Levine over Ben Simmons in a situation where you need to win basketball games? Come on, Michael. um, You're not. You're not doing that. Like in games that matter, when push comes to shove, you're taking Ben Simmons over Zach Levine. You just are. Here's the thing, though. Like, why is that a parameter for picking an all-star team? Like, I'm picking the guy who's had the most impressive season up until this point. Like, that's the whole exercise, right? Right. But the reason why is because... All these games are designed to be one, and Philly has won some, and Chicago has won fewer. And Ben Simmons has contributed <laughs> to more wins in those situations. It's not just an accident. If you switched them, Philly would be worse. And I, Chicago probably would be a little bit better. I mean, I'm not sure there would be a major impact there. It would be very impressive to see. I think Simmons' fans would say, well, look how he played the other night without Embiid. He's scoring 40 points. He could do that more regularly if he had his own team. And and certainly Chicago could use the the playmaking that, that he brings to the table. But, um, you know, when we're looking at all-around players and trying to reward team success, I, I get that Simmons is not that guy every single night. I mean, sometimes his efforts do drive me crazy. I think he's made a little bit of a push here uh, later in the season. And I ultimately, I just think Philadelphia deserves to have two All-Stars. I think it's pretty clear Simmons over Harris. Um, I know Harris was, was trying to make his own campaign. I, I just don't really see that one. Um, I think some of his scoring numbers also gets into the the emptier territory where it's a more replaceable contribution. But defensively, you know, Simmons's reputation on that end is well earned. I mean, certainly he's, uh, you know, he's close to being as good as Zach is offensively on the defensive end, and he's miles better offensively than Zach is on the defensive end. So anyway, you break it down. I think you got to have Simmons over Levine, Michael. I actually didn't even like consider Simmons for the All Star. Like I've had him as a snub in my column, but I didn't seriously oh, boy, think oh boy. think about him as. I mean, you 
like take the whole season into account. Like Simmons has had so many duds and whenever he shows out as he did against the Jazz in a game by the way where he's being defended by Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors for a majority of the time because like he can't shoot which impacts everything around him at all times um like there were those games there was the game against the Celtics where he had a great fourth quarter and it spawned like all these different columns across media that Simmons is unstoppable and it's like how many other players where it's just like this guy has one f- good fourth quarter and it's like we need to uh, like uh, say that he is Magic Johnson, that he is the second coming. Well, of, you know how I feel uh, about Magic Johnson comparisons. I know. I no know. to LaMelo Ball and hard no to Ben so, Simmons too. So so what I'll just say is with Zach Levine, uh, you know, I am in the camp that uh, it's questionable how much he does impact winning. But when you're scoring as much as he is, as efficiently as he is, like in a way that, uh, you know, he's getting to the rim, shooting 70% at the rim. He's shooting over 50% from the mid-range. He's shooting uh, over 40% from the three-point line. All these shots are really tough for him. Also, the degree of difficulty is astronomical. His usage is above 30. His true shooting is above 65, which is something that has only been done twice in uh, NBA history, uh, once by Steph Curry in 2016, which is like the greatest offensive season any of us have ever seen. And then it's also what Embiid, who is the leading leading candidate for MVP, I would say, is doing right now. It's never been done be- beyond that. So like, I look at that and I'm just like, there's a threshold here where I can't ignore what this guy is doing and how yeah. effectively I, he's doing I, it. I look at that and I say, look, this is a weird year where no one's playing defense. There's no fans in the stands and we're going to have some strange statistical anomalies. I mean, I look at Chicago's offense below average right now, right there in the middle of the pack. If he is this all-time great offensive playmaking scoring threat, his team should be able to be a little bit above average. It should translate a little bit more than it has. And I understand he's averaging 28 and Simmons is probably averaging 15. And so there's a pretty big gap there. I I promise you, Zach Levine's given all those points back on the other end every single night. And Simmons is making up for it with his passing. So I don't want to fixate too much on this particular debate. But I do think the Zach Levine love fest has just gone about 25% too far on the internet. Like he's solid, but... And he's definitely better than he was last year. He's been getting on that track where he gets to say that he's proving his critics wrong. At the same time, his critics are pretty right about a lot of what Zach Levine's doing on the basketball court. And if they weren't, Chicago would be in prime position to be, uh, you know, a really nice playoff seed this year because the Eastern Conference is wide open um, and it it just hasn't played out that way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just looking at Ben Simmons' game logs, it's like if... If uh, Zach Levine scored like 10 or 11 points six games in a row, like you think the Chicago Bulls are bad now, like they would be relegated to the NCAA. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't no, know. The, like, the Bulls I, need I, I, everything that Levine's giving them on offense, but they also need a lot more than he's giving them on the other end. All right, let's well, uh, sure, sure, let sure. me ask you on this because it's a, also another kind of corollary factor. How much did you consider Jeremy Grant? Because I think there's Pistons fans who would say, well, look at Jeremy Grant's numbers. They're not that different from Levine's, you know, from a scoring standpoint. And head-to-head, Jeremy Grant's got probably better scoring number than uh, Ben Simmons. So, you know, you've got another case where should you have a second player from a winning team on Philly versus, you know, a a single selection from a losing team in Detroit – 
How seriously did you consider Jeremy Grant? Because I know he's got his own, you know, group of stands just like Levine does. I didn't really consider him. Excellent. Great. I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the numbers are great. Um, or I should say they're, 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 they're very good, but it's like, like, like with Levine, it's just like, again, there was a threshold for me. I don't know what exactly it was. Um, but like if he would, were averaging 25 instead of 28 or shooting 43% from the floor instead of 52 or, you know what I mean? Like it, it's like the numbers are good for sure. You're playing on the worst team in the NBA probably. And no, you it's amazing. Like have to get like, it's yeah. not easy to be worse than the Wizards. They didn't even play for two weeks or practice for two weeks in Detroit still worse than them. I mean, that's not easy. That's a heavy lift. Um, and by the way, Cleveland's now down there as well, which is just phenomenal. Mm. I, I, that was a rock hard fall in the standings for the Cavaliers. They went west, and I think they just went over on the trip or something like that. And uh, next thing you know, life came at them fast. But um, I-, I hear what you're saying. Levine is a more deserving candidate than Grant because he's more efficient, he's scoring more overall, and he's playing for a better team. Is that basically what it boiled down to? Yeah, sure. Okay, well, that solved that. <laughs> you took you took Bam. Am I right? I did, yes. Did Love you, Bam. Did you think about Jimmy Butler at all as a Miami candidate? Now, granted, he's basically missed half the season because of health and protocol and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. He has a major impact on winning. Some people would look back and say, well, look, I mean, Jimmy's obviously their most important player. Just look at what happened in the NBA Finals. And they might want to just kind of slide him in there on reputation. Were you tempted to consider Jimmy over Bam? Were you con- tempted to consider both those guys? I personally had Bam because he's basically averaging 2010 uh, and he's, you know, right at the top of the list of bigs who would you pick, you would pick from the Eastern Conference, you know, basically right after Embiid, he's probably the next pick and in, in certain matchups you might even prefer to have uh, Bam over Embiid. Um so I was with you on Bam, but did you give any other consideration to Jimmy? I didn't, to be honest. Uh, he just hasn't played enough, as you said. Like Bam has played ten more games. The Miami Heat are—I mean, they're a disappointment as a team uh, for a lot of understandable reasons. But regardless, their record is what their record is, and where they are in the standings is not great. Um, so for Bam, who's you know played a lot more minutes than he's not, then you know if you look just look at the on-offs. Um, you know, 800 plus minutes on 400 plus minutes off as opposed to 500 plus for Jimmy on and 800 plus off. Like, you know, that really matters. And I know that the the Heat are very good when Jimmy plays, understandably so, because he's terrific and his playmaking is really good. Um, he's also four for 24 from behind the three-point line. And I'm not like expecting Clay Thompson production, but that's, 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 not, that's not good shooting right there. Um, so when I looked at Bam... You know, you outlined some of the basic numbers, which matter. He's just like one of the best defenders in basketball, too. Uh, one of the true one through fives who can really guard anyone. And, you know, I I value that as well. And his playmaking, uh, his rebounding, the fact that he's suddenly added a mid-range shot that's reliable to his skill set is impressive to me. He's just, he's going to be in an all-star game for like the next 10 years. And I didn't think that anything he did this year really negated that. Well, let me ask you, do you think the coaches will select him? Will they honor him in the same way that you want to honor him? Are they, is he going to be one of those like 
you know, the coaches have like their fetish picks every year where it's like guys we just were always bringing in, right? For a while, it was Joe Johnson. They always made sure they got him on there. Do you think he's got that level of respect? Um, I'm not sure he's necessarily going to make it this year. I'd expect him to, but I don't know if I'm going to write him in 100% just because of Miami's record. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that that's fair. I think that maybe coaches who really value winning look at the Sixers and they say, oh, look at Tobias Harris's shooting. Like, let's throw him in there instead. Oh, yeah. Um, Doc's going to start buying Rolexes for all the fellow coaches, (laughs) try to make his campaign for his guys. I could see that happening. I hope it doesn't. I hope Bam's in there over Tobias. I'll say that. Um, Well, let's wrap up this Eastern Conference portion of it with um, just one final question, Michael. Why are you such a Trey Young hater? Don't you like fun? Weren't the Atlanta Hawks your squad (laughs) coming into this season? Uh, What's going on? What's going on, Michael? How do you not have Trey Young on your roster whatsoever? I mean, you're right, but why are you so uh, mean and and angry? (laughs) I I adore Trey Young, as you know. I think he's one of the best passers alive. Um, just living at the free throw line, despite being a tiny human being and not missing like any games at all, really, uh, uh, like he's, he's ridiculous. Um, love him. It was for me, it was, uh, between Trey and Levine, to be honest with you. And that was the real, um, flip of the coin. And yeah, if those are my options. Plan- I'm just out, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Atlanta has had a ton of injuries this year, and uh, we don't know what they would look like if everyone was healthy. But I think they're like a respectable basketball team, and you know uh, their defense is not that atrocious. So we haven't seen some of uh, some of Trey's blemishes really uh, uh, come to the forefront that much, which is nice to see for him. But like just efficiency again, like I that's really the word of the day for me when it comes to the, the Levine versus totally. Simmons versus Trey Young debate. No, I think you're right on. When it, you know Chicago and Atlanta have very similar records, I would actually argue Trey came into the season probably with more help than Levine did. Levine's efficiency, his scoring number, I think that actually makes him a stronger candidate than Trey this year. I mean, Trey, you know, I'm not saying that he got exposed this year, but it, it's been a rough season. He's trying to find his way working with talented pieces, and I do kind of hold that against him a little bit. And then defensively, they're both messes, so that kind of cancels out to me. Um, I would have Z- uh, Zach Levine slightly above Trey Young on the pecking order, but I would snub both. Um, and I would like it. I would enjoy that. Um, on the Western Conference, I think it was a little bit easier. Would you agree uh, that it was a little bit easier this year than usual? In part because you had a guy like Carl Anthony Towns just not in the mix, um, mm. you know, and and maybe that cleared up a spot. You know, a few other guys, C.J. McCollum would have had a really strong case with, if not for injury. I just thought usually the Western Conference is just impossible to get to twelve this year. I felt like it was hard, but it wasn't quite as difficult. Did you feel the same or no? No, this was this was torture, honestly. Um, <laughs> well, tell me more. I, yeah, like, do you want me to read down my team first, and then we'll get into it? My needs are unconventional, Michael. I want to hear about all your pain selecting your all stars. Um, yeah, read your Western <laughs> Conference uh, twelve for me, and then give me your toughest uh, snubs. Okay, so I had LeBron, Kawhi, Jokic, uh, Dame Lillard. And Steph as my starting five. You got all five of the starters right. Congratulations. It was a tricky one between Dame and Luka, but you got it correct. And I think people are rallying to that here, especially over the last week as Portland continues to ascend in the standings and and Lillard continues to just hit every big shot there is. So continue. Yeah, 
He's ridiculous. Um, next up, I have uh, Anthony Davis. I wrote this the day that we learned about his injury, <laughs> even though I think he would still make the team for me. Um, Rudy Gobert, Paul George. Uh, next up, we have Luka Doncic, uh, Donovan Mitchell. And then for my wild cards, I had uh, RIP my mentions, De'Aaron Fox and Zion Williamson. So and we are pretty darn close. Give me your snubs. Okay, so the snubs were tough, and Phoenix Suns fans were not happy with me at all for leaving Chris Paul and, uh, more notably, Devin Booker off of my team. But, um, Well, I mean, to be honest, me- you're dead wrong. I mean, you got to have at least one Phoenix Sun person. So they should be mad, you should feel bad, and I hope that they left a mark. Um, but otherwise, you're, you're pretty darn close. Who are your other t- toughest snubs besides the two Suns cards? Yeah, um, honestly... I took a long look at DeMar DeRozan and the Spurs being a pretty good basketball team this year and him having a uh, very underrated productive season. I think he deserves a, a shout out for sure. And I'm snubbing him from honest- my snubs list. He's not even going to be on my snubs list. So. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, they just win then- my collective. You know what I mean? It's not the DeMar show down there. They've got a lot of guys contributing really positive minutes. I feel like defensively it's still the same old story impact still the same old story and then offense you know some nights he's there some nights he's not and they can still win games when he's not Uh, I just think it's a a different mix and so that's where I came down on that one that's honestly how I feel about the Suns but we can debate that in a second um and then I think like the biggest most painful cut for me was Mike Conley who like the Jazz are just obliterating the rest of the NBA. What are they like, twenty-two and five? Um, he's missed the past few games, but like his uh, all the advanced stats love him, and he's playing so much better than he did last season. And it's just like this guy. You know, you want to try your best to avoid everything, like uh, you know, historical context and some of this stuff and narrative and all that. But Mike Conley not ever making an All Star game and playing this well in what would potentially be his last chance. Uh, you just want to see him make it, man. And it's it stinks that he maybe he will. I'm I'm, I'm like reading some other writers' um, teams and they have Mike Conley on there. I couldn't make the case, honestly. Well, we'll, beyond we'll, we'll come back great. to that one. We'll come back to that one because I do think one okay. of the key questions here is how many Jazz people get rewarded given how ridiculous their season is, and their coaching staff is going to be the Western Conference coaching staff. So that's quite the honor mm-hmm. for Quinn Snyder, who to me is got to be the runaway favorite right now for Coach of the Year. Um, Before we get to that, though, I think we do face this AD dilemma. So he's obviously deserving if he's healthy. He might be sitting the next couple of weeks, so his game's play number is going to look pretty strange by the time they actually play the All-Star game. And yet, usually we do this selection process based on you know, the start of the season two, whenever you have to actually make your picks, which is coming up here. So he's only going to be missing a couple of games you know, before the end of that cutoff. I think the best, fairest, most equitable solution here is to select Anthony Davis, assuming that he's going to be uh, injured, you know, the, in, until the rest of the uh, the first half of the regular season. Give him his All Star nod for the history books, you know, for his personal resume, and then just also use that as a cheat code to bring in an extra injury reserve. You know what I mean? So you can get one other mm-hmm. guy taken care of. And so to me, that's the the cleanest solution. So if you select AD. Then you get to have a 13th All-Star, and then it gets a lot easier. What do you think, Michael? 
Should we be just be? I agree. Okay. Yes. All that's right. a great idea. So we're doing that. Maybe <laughs> maybe you won't anger the Suns fans if you can kind of handle this thing properly. I'm giving you a second chance, all right? So to me, Luca, no-brainer. Um, Anthony Davis is in. Paul George is in. Uh, Rudy Gobert is in. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Jazz. Okay. Gobert is in for sure. We could both agree. I think they've got to have two spots no matter what, personally. I just, mm-hmm. you know, if you have this high performing of a team, this consistent of a team during a year where nobody else is consistent, we have to reward that winning. And it comes down to Mitchell versus Conley. You picked Mitchell. What is the argument for Mitchell over Conley? And why didn't you try to get both of them in there? Why didn't you prioritize getting three jazz players? I tried so hard, Ben. I don't. I lost a little bit of sleep over it. I looked at Jordan Clarkson's numbers. I am. It was a dark time for me. Um, we need some defense Don- in that game. What about Royce O'Neal? You know, nobody really commits on the defense event. Could we? Could we fit Royce O'Neal into the twenty twenty one All Star Challenge? Let's give Derek Favors a spot while we're here. <laughs> like just a, tr- a true king. Um, I, why did I pick Donovan Mitchell? Derek Favors could be an assistant coach for the Western Conference. (laughs) We could do that. Just bring him along. He could be on Quinn's staff. The best. Um, yeah, I picked Donovan Mitchell because in my opinion, uh, I think he's their best player. I really do. Uh, I think that Rudy Gobert might be their most important player and strategically and schematically. I think Rudy's their best player, man. But you could say Donovan's the most talented. I'll go there. But Rudy is having a major, major impact this year. Oh, yeah, no question. Uh, He has a major impact every year. The, you know, uh, how Utah's defense, I mean, Utah's defense is good every year because Rudy Gobert plays for their team. They paid him a ton of money for a reason. I don't, like I don't discount anything that he does um, that doesn't even show up statistically. Like I understand why his screens are important. I get the putbacks. I understand um, his ability to drop in pick and roll and let everybody stay at home on the three point line, and that is a foundational to their success. Like I, I get all of that for sure. For me, like Donovan is the the, the player who, if like if Rudy uh, ups your floor. Donovan raises your ceiling, and sometimes, especially when I look at the Utah Jazz, I need someone to raise their ceiling if they want to win the championship. Does that make sense to you? It does, and I would agree. I also think, though, that like they could get by and win an awful lot of games without Donovan this year. I just feel like Rudy's the more irreplaceable piece, so that's why I would have him kind of as the no-brainer selection. I mean, they've actually shown the ability to win games without Donovan and without Mike Conley, so that argument's almost mute. It's really, really hard between those two guys. Let's say they had to go for a month without Mitchell or without Conley. You know, which way do you think they survive, um, you know, better? Like, how are they winning Mm. more games? Because that one, to me, is also really, really close. As you mentioned, the advanced stats absolutely love Mike Conley's impact. I think his shared minutes with Rudy Gobert have been, you know, big-time positive driver of their success. Um, You know, he's handling the ball and, and shooting the ball quite well. And yet they have still won without him, you know, during this current stretch. And, and same thing. And Mitchell hasn't missed as much time, I don't believe. But they've won with him uh, out as well. Who do you think is harder to replace? And that might be a tiebreaker here. Is Mitchell harder to replace? I think Mitchell is harder to replace because Conley has missed their last uh, six games. And let me just read you the outcomes of those games. Um, the first one was at Indiana. 
they won by eight. Next, uh, they're home against Boston. They win by 14. Next, home against Milwaukee. They win by 14. Next, home against Miami. They win by 18. Next, home against Philly. They win by 11. Next, they're in Staples Center against the Clippers. They win by 18. Well, all that told me is that the Eastern Conference is terrible, which I already knew. And (laughs) the the Clippers game, they did beat them without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Sure. But, you know, that is, uh, frankly, that's really damning for the top of the Eastern Conference. They just smoked all those teams, and that's like the top five seeds in the East, basically. Yeah, and that Clippers team without PG and Kawhi has been, like, nothing to mess around with either. Like, Lou Williams and Luke Kennard and all those guys, Serge Ibaka, like, they beat the Miami Heat the other day. So, um, that's no pushover, and they blew them out of the water, too. So, I think Utah, uh, look, like, if Mike Conley hadn't missed those games i still think utah would have won all of them um probably uh, 25 points yeah Yeah, with more ease than they did for sure um the fact that he did miss it is kind of what uh, the combination of the fact that he did miss it and there are just so many other candidates i think is what like really strong candidates in my eyes really hurt the case for conley if he was healthy i'd have i'd be much more comfortable putting him in here no it's a great point it very well argued i think you probably convinced me i want to dig a little bit deeper on that one before i make my final call but i think Conley's injury is probably going to wind up being the tiebreaker and and holding him out yet again. I don't really get into the sentimental stuff as much as some people do about, oh, we got to get him one spot. (laughs) I mean, I I would do it if if it felt like it was deserved. But this year, I can see see the case for the snub. So we've only got a, a few more minutes here, Michael. So let's run through these quickly. You have to have Chris Paul on your team, man. I don't I don't get mm. it. Chris Paul has to be an all-star. Um, I understand the case for Fox is pretty strong. I understand why people would be really upset about Booker, but I think if you if you're going to take one son and they need to have a representative based on the winning, to me it's Chris Paul. All-around impact, closing games, he's massive for them in late game situations. Um, I don't think it's a, you know, some sort of a coincidence that all of a sudden the Phoenix Suns are winning games and, and in the playoff mix for the first time in years and years and years in the first year that Chris Paul happens to get there. His scoring number isn't as big as Booker, but if I'm picking between those two players to win games, there's no question in my mind I'm taking Chris Paul over Devin Booker. And, you know, the Fox case is very interesting. Their record's quite a bit, uh, you know, back in the standings compared to Phoenix. And so I, I just couldn't get over that mental hump. I don't think De'Aaron Fox has been so good and uh, that that it should outweigh the, the steady team success that Phoenix has had. So you got to make the case how you snub both of these Phoenix Suns, or will you bring one of those guys onto your roster with the Anthony Davis injury exception? And that could maybe be a compromise that would get me to stop yelling at you. I'm I'm not certain that I'm going to choose. If I had to choose one, I think it would be. Man, this is so tough. I think it would. I would choose Booker. Ugh. Um. But at the same time, Michael, ben, you just I, like these Booker types, these Levine types. Maybe you should have Trey hey, have Trey and Bradley Beal in your starting lineup together. Why not? Why not just do that, Michael? I picked Devin Booker last year uh, to make the All Star team when his team was twenty two and thirty three at the All Star <laughs> break. So like winning, like this is a, the Phoenix Suns fans in my mentions. Like I, I like the winning isn't that much of a factor to me um it does play a a small role but like i look at fox and like comparing him strictly with booker because like i think paul is just a different like i think he impacts winning obviously and he's tremendous but i I, never forget that's what we're here for michael to win 
in, in life, <laughs> in basketball, on the court, off the court. Chris Paul put this whole All-Star Weekend together. He can't get an invite to his own party, Michael? I know. Yeah, I know. That's all that matters, and that's why we look at the first eight games of James Harden's season, and we're like, hey, come down to Atlanta, James. Be in the starting lineup. <laughs> I think that uh, for Fox, like you talked about crunch time. Like He's been one of the better crunch time players in the entire league this season. He's surrounded by much less help and a roster that makes much less sense than the one in Phoenix. And by the way, Devin Booker has been atrocious in the clutch this year, um, which is weird because, yeah, he has Chris Paul. He has spacers like Cam Johnson, like Mikhail Bridges, like a dive guy like Aiton. Meanwhile, like there are lineups for sure that Fox is in that uh, are, are conducive to success with Harrison Barnes at the four, but he's starting a lot of games with Marvin Bagley and Rashawn Holmes in the front court. Like that's tough stuff. And so you just look at this guy's game, man. Like the numbers are about on par with Booker. But like I said, he's he's better in the cr- in, in crunch time. He's a better playmaker with a much higher assist rate. Uh, and I just generally think he's doing more with less. Like, who is Sacramento's second best player? Um, no, that, like, th- there's no argument there. Like, the Kings, he's dragging a rough Kings team. I just don't think he's dragging them high enough. Let me put it to you this way. If you switch Chris Paul and De'Aaron Fox, do the Kings have a better record? I would say yes. Ooh, that's an interesting question. I don't know if I would agree. I don't think that Chris well, Paul... Here's my, I, I, like, here, here's think, my argument. <laughs> okay. The best Houston Rockets team ever, Chris Paul showed up, and he was a big part of it. Oklahoma City was the biggest overachiever last year. Chris Paul was the driver of it, right? Phoenix this year, they're basically maxing out their best-case scenario from preseason expectations by getting into that four or five-seed range. I had them closer you know, to an eight-seed probably this year. That overachievement, to me, again, it goes back to Chris Paul. Devin Booker's not winning those games in the clutch like you're describing. hes It's not like he's a bum. He's had some really, really good games, especially recently offensively, big scoring mm-hmm. games. But the difference in the key moments is Chris Paul in obvious ways, orchestrating, uh, making sure his teammates know where to be, but and then also just more subtle ways, and, and expertise, communication with his teammates, on-court leadership, all that stuff really matters, and I think it should be reflected in all-star voting. I think if you put them on Sacramento, they're better, maybe not that much better than they are currently because Fox has been doing an awesome Superman job of, of putting everybody on his back, but I do think the Sacramento Kings would be better if they switched those two players. I just don't think that Chris Paul is at a place in his career where he can carry a load like that. Like what De'Aaron Fox does in the fourth quarters of some of these games is heroic. And like Chris Paul, yes, he raises the floor for you. He makes everyone around him better. I just like he's not the guy who can, you know, um, just go off for 10 points in the fourth quarter with his team entering the period down eight. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not who he is at the stage of his career. He doesn't need the sledgehammer, though. He just has that scalpel. You know, it's not going to be like a Mm. 14 point explosion. It's going to be, okay. I'm going to find this corner three point shooter. Then I'm going to break you down and get to my mid range jumper from the elbow. Then I'm going to, you know, come up with a steal in the backcourt that you're not expecting. And then I'm going to, you know, he just has so many different ways he could beat guys. One of my, this isn't like a complicated stat. You know, Chris Paul's only missed one game this season, right? And he's playing 30 plus minutes a night. 
certainly he has slowed down, right? And and so when you're comparing physically a Fox to a Chris Paul, there's like no contest. I mean, Fox could hold up to a lot of minutes, right? Like if Luke Walton was like desperately coaching for his job, he could keep Fox on the court for an awful long time, you know, Thibodeau style. And Fox would be able to handle it no problem in a way that Chris Paul couldn't. But I think if you're saying like quality of minutes, uh, you know, can you get a starter's amount of minutes every single night from a guy? Chris Paul's avoided the injuries so far this season. He did kind of ease into the season a little bit from a minute standpoint, but he's held up brilliantly and I got to reward that winning. So that's where I come down on that one. The Booker versus Fox flip is pretty interesting too. Like I bet, would you agree that if you flip the two of them, the Kings would be worse if they flopped Booker and Fox? Yes, I Hmm. Actually, I don't. Well, it's like because then who, who passes the basketball? Who's playmaking? Exa- right? Exactly. You have Halliburton as your starting point guard. Like I don't know if that works as well. Um, you know, I think Booker's playmaking. Um, you know, his assist rate before Paul came on board was was very high. He can make plays for others. I think defensively, there's a little bit of a, a difference between Fox and Booker. I think that's fair to say and could be the difference here. Um, but it's just, it's really, I want to stress, it is so close between Booker and Fox. And I just, I just think that Fox has done more with less and I, I reward that. I'm sorry. Like, I don't care that much about winning at the end of the day to say that just because Booker's on a better team, he goes to the all-star game. Well, 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 I don't care that much about winning at the end of the day, Michael. We're going to have to save that one for the archives. God. (laughs) Um, so here, just, just to wrap up quickly, um, I think you had Zion, correct? I did, yes. Love Zion. I think the most poetic way to do it is to have Zion as the injury replacement for Anthony Davis, just like he had to step mm-hmm. in as the replacement for Anthony Davis to save the New Orleans Pelicans franchise. Um, can we just have that all line up so the coaches don't pick Zion, but we can have Adam Silver name him? Uh, you know, in the blatant uh, small market homage, but also like mm-hmm. television rating savior for the All-Star Game move. What do you think? Oh, you know he's going to be in the All-Star Game one way or the other. <laughs> one way or the uh, other. That's, yeah. Um, yeah no, that's a great idea. Sort and of then, like the, the Jeremy Lin move from David Stern, just classic. <laughs> yeah, we, we've created a new spot for Jeremy Lin uh, in the, what was it, Skills Challenge or something like that. Um, <laughs> did you give any consideration to Brandon Ingram over Zion when you're picking kind of a, a Pelicans representative, quote-unquote? I mean, to me... Mm-hmm. The Pelicans have been so different night to night. Their ceiling's so high. Their floor can be really low. When they're looking awesome, I just felt like Zion was the one who was driving it because he was winning his individual matchups and putting up these crazy, efficient scoring performances and just basically shoving the basketball down his opponent's throats. And that's when they've looked at their best. I feel like Ingram, to a certain degree, has kind of been floating. He's been kind of a stabilizing piece. You pretty much know what you're getting night to night, but I don't necessarily know if I associate his incredible performances with his team's best nights. And so that was one um, you know, point in favor of, of Zion over Ingram to me. Um, I do feel like Ingram could be an all-still-ever guy in a, in a different context. I'm not sure that the, this roster and this dynamic is set up perfectly for him to shine. I also didn't think he was an all-star last year or, or you know, he, he was really borderline to me and just kind of got there because of um, of injury issues. And I don't think that they've won nearly enough to consider having two representatives. So yeah. I did come back to Zion as the, the Pelicans representative. Um, but I, I actually didn't have him on my normal reserve roster. I had him as my injury replacement. Um, does that all check out with, with where you're at on Zion and Ingram? 
Yeah, I think I agree with a lot of that. Um, I, they were pretty close for me when I started out with this exercise, and I did have Ingram as an all-star last year. I think we've talked about Ingram a lot. I I love him. I love his game. I think, you know, we're splitting hairs once again, but if I were a coach who had to strategize against the New Orleans Pelicans, I would be a little bit more concerned about Zion Williamson becoming a point guard all of a sudden yeah, and well, just you, you'd bowling, be call- balling my defense. Yeah, you'd be calling the local football coach and saying, hey, I need two defensive linemen, please, because we need to plant them in front of the basketball. <laughs> That's probably going to be your first move if you're a coach of an opposing team. Exactly. So, like, strategically, he just does so much more that concerns you if you are on the other side of things. And, you know, I'm watching the the Blazers game last night, and he's, uh, you know, they have to go to zone when he brings the ball up the floor because he's just getting to the rim at will. And even after they win zone, he's still found a way. Like, he's just, he's incredible. Yeah, get back on the hype train. Slightly slow start to the season. He's been awesome the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's tough because there were some real gaps to his game in that first month where you're saying, like, look, this guy's probably not an all star this year. We got to be more patient. But I think he has ramped it up, stepped it up. The efficiency is out of control. I think he deserves to be there. The toughest ones for me here, Michael, Mitchell versus Conley, I'm still kind of weighing that. But I think you might have talked me into Mitchell on that one. Um, you know, for me, I did have Chris Paul, and that left the, the toughest debate for me was Booker versus Fox. I'm still weighing that one because I do really respect what Fox is doing. I think if you switched Fox and Booker, it would be, you know, it would be tough. I mean, I I think that Phoenix would probably be winning just as much. And I think Sacramento might uh, win a little bit less like we described just because of the nature of Fox's playmaking game. So I'm still chewing on those with your injury replacement um, slot, Michael. This is your chance. Let's make your final pick here to close this episode out. Who are you going to give it to? I know you had a bunch of snubs. A few other guys we should mention as honorable mentions. I would say John Moran, the injury took him out of it. Christian Wood had a, a chance there for a little bit. I think the injury took him out of it. Um, Jamal Murray just didn't get it together this year to kind of get into the mix. Mm. And so I think that was kind of the next cut of players for me. But I didn't actually feel that bad about leaving any of those guys out, frankly. Um so who are you going to use your injury replacement slot on, Michael? Right now, who's it going to be? Hmm. Man, Sun's Twitter is not going to be happy. Oh my gosh! Oh my god! Are you going to give it to Conley? I yeah. I oh, just oh, I, I love it. This is it's so sentimental for me. Uh, Chris Ball has been to a ton of All Star games. Uh, Devin Booker will go to a ton of All Star games. Already went to one last year. Just like like. Come on, like Mike Conley's been superb this season, and he's one of the big reasons why I think that they can win the championship because he looks like the guy that they traded for. So, I, I like it, it would just be nice, and I need nice things in my life right now. Yeah, I'm, you're gonna get some real nice replies in your mentions. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna call up Devin Booker and say, "Hey, we still have some slots available in the three point contest and the skills challenge if you're interested." Unbelievable, Michael! I cannot <laughs> believe that you overlooked all of the Suns. That's wild. Well. Um, 
fascinating picks. Like I said, I expected some even zanier stuff from you, and you, I thought you did quite well. We only had a few de- uh, de- debates and differences, and um, mm-hmm. it, it was fun to talk those through uh, with you. Everybody should go check out Michael's selections. They're on SI.com right now, and be sure to read that piece on Michael Porter Jr. No joke. I, I quite enjoyed that as well. All right, Michael, we'll double back next week, I'm sure, with some more All-Star-related conversations, and we'll pick up with the rest of the regular season. Until then, guys, you can email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We would love to hear your selections for the All-Star rosters, your biggest debates with our picks, and any anybody else that we might have forgot to mention that you feel we, we slighted. Michael's on Instagram, at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben Golliver. Michael's on Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina, and I'm on Twitter at Ben Golliver. All right, Michael. Until next week. Talk soon, Ben. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.